see if Vic is coming today or he's online. I, I, I called her. I sent a message yeah, yeah, whatever you And mute all. Let the fat lady sing. No, she said uh, not in her time, not in her time. She didn't know. Yosef Fuchs, I asked her. Not in her time. Let's just see. Time-wise, we have another Recording meeting. in progress. Ah, you did it. Right, you want this microphone? Yeah, you want the mic here, maybe transfer it to the other side. There may be a slight, uh, if you hear noise, while but it's okay here. Yeah, it's working. Everything is good. Okay, let us begin. Menachem, uh, you're sitting here. Do you drink Coca-Cola on Pesach? The Rav HaMachshir is in the room, so you better be careful what you say. The OU has good Rabbanim, I can testify. All right, uh, today, let's give the day. Today is Monday, uh, January 15th, 2024. Am I right? Or 20, where am I? I'm all confused. 2025. No, it's 20, I understand. But, but, no, no, I know. But it's 2024. Okay. Achenu Chobet Yisrael Hanatunim Betzaro B'Shivi Omdim Bein Biyah Bein Biyah Basha Bein Bavia Hamokim Rachem Aleim Yotziyim Betzaro Levacha Meachfeila LaOra Mishibed Lagula Hashto Bagala V'Zman Kariv V'Noma Amen. And Halavai, our politicians and all those we tend upon the Rebbeinish Leilim should lead them on a good path and make good decisions. Um, I got a question, uh, Jack, who's been my student for many decades, so he asked me an interesting question that the first time I spoke about Yantav Shani, I said that whoever deals with it deals with it halachically. And many years later I said there are also political implications. And it's not a contradiction, Jack. I'll just explain myself for one minute because it's more Sunday Shia than Monday Shia. Originally, when the question came up of Yantav Shani, everyone dealt with it, Lahalacha. And uh, you have the Minchat Laza, the Munkacha, and Rav Kook saying the same thing. So that shows you that they were dealing with it halachically. However, I would say over the decades, it's like a political football. You find people who are not Zionists, they observe two days in Eretz Yisrael. And people who are more in the Zionist camp observe one day or a day and a half for And it's, it has political overtones. It's like Halel and Yom Atzmut. 
Hallel and Yom Ha'atzmut and open Gemara and Pesachim, Dafket Tuf Tetvav, when God does a miracle, you have to say Hallel, you have to thank him. But you last up by Feldman of Nei Yisrael, Chas V'chalil, it's recognizing Zionism. You'll ask me, uh, believe me, every day you live in Israel, the longer you live here, you got to say Hallel, not just once on your mouth, but twice, three times, that Baruch Hashem, we're alive and kicking, and survive low Aleinu. Look at the leadership that they could allow Hamas to build the most powerful army in the world. Today, Biden is quoted that we can't defeat Hamas. We're not going to build it. It's a quote or someone from the State Department, Shem Yerachim. Also, Jack mentioned to me that today is the yurt sign of the closing of the luncheon. But Jack had the wrong year. It's Hey Shvat, 1892 that Volusion closed. Can you remember when I taught in the collegiate level, I used to close the shades, turn off the lights, and light a candle in memory of Yeshivat Volusion. All right. Now, Menachem, you're coming in. The, my shirm began in 1978 in the Kolil. At one time, the Kolil attended. Today, it's, they can, it's lower lane of, it's beyond them because they're busy with the Gemara and with the Yeridea, but I'm teaching myself, so uh, you're welcome to join. And uh, we just finished, uh, we finished about 14 years the history of Torah in the United States, and then we began the history of the yeshiva in Eastern Europe. We spent close to a year on Chachmei Lublin, and we began with Chachmei Lublin, which is not chronological, but there were reasons why. I explained. Now we're in, we're, we're in the middle of a luncheon, uh, the very beginning, Reb Chaim, and uh, there's no question that this machloik is um, between Reb Chaim and the Hasidic world was very different than the machloikis of the Gon. The Gon was adamant and strident, caustic in his opposition. You read the Haramim that the Gon signed, and the Siddim are not in good company. Reb Chaim was a lot milder, and while he wasn't a Chassid, he didn't fight Chassidit the way his Rebbe did. It was more on an intellectual level. And my own feeling is, and I've said this many times, and maybe as a Talmud of the Rav, you have to remember when I learned in Lakewood, what I spoke about yesterday, uh, the, the email I dictated to Mark, uh, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky <laughs> was asked about Chabad and Rabbaran Kutla. So uh, Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Yaakov says, Ba'em is das given shmad, that it was mamish converting away. So I wrote to the person, it's in the book, I wrote to that person, I have, I have something more for you today afterwards. So I wrote to that person uh, who wrote the book, I said, that wasn't Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky's opinion, he was just telling you Rabbi Katla. And when I learned in Lakewood, that taka was the feeling I got. They, they attacked Chabad. I, I'm not going to go, it's, you know, I've spoken about this in the past, not for now. But uh, 
with the Schneer Cutler already, there was a different atmosphere in Lakewood. And I don't believe uh, Reb Schneer ever said something publicly uh, against Lakewood and Chutzlitrum. Uh, Rav Shach continued Rav Aaron Cutler's point of view. They all come from Kletsk, but uh, not Rav Schneer Cutler. Because Rav Schneer's formative years, you see, you have to understand, Rav Schneer was saved by his grandfather, Rabbi Sazama Meltzer. Rabbi Sazama Meltzer brought him to Palestine. So the war years, Reb Schneer Cutler was in Palestine studying with his Zayda and Eitz Chaim. So he was here for a good five years. And uh, Reb Yisrael Meltzer was a different personality than the Baron. Uh, until today, uh, those people who are honest have to admit he was a closet Zionist in the full sense of the word. Already in Volusion, he was in Kibatzion, and you see the children he raised, and uh, today you talk about his descendants. It's uh, the most prominent of his descendants are the Amital family. And uh, these are all religious Zionists, uh, part and parcel of the Israeli scene. So Rabbi Shnur already was different than his father. And I would put Reb Chaim Volozhin in Reb Shnir's camp, not in Reb Aaron's camp. Nevertheless, on an intellectual level, you see, this is what it boils down to. Now. We ended off last week's year, we'll pick up with, I'm going to give you sources now directly from the Nefesh Chaim. But you see, a Hasidic Jew, what is he learning? He's learning to be a Eurasian Mayim. And, and that whole feeling, Shom Achat Palalim, Shom Achat Din, and a Yehi Ratzon, and a Lashem Yichud. You're familiar with the truth of the Nodav Yehuda. The Nodav Yehuda is very negative, very negative to the Hasidim. And uh, all, all that they added, and and Frumkeiten learning. Whoever heard of Frumkeiten learning? Reb Chaim, Volajin, Reb Aaron, Moyu Rebbe. Min Leren says, I know London, you learn to be a Talmud Chacham. And the year at Shemaim will come, but that's not the purpose of learning. It's a totally different understanding. The Hasid, the fervor in learning. All right, and this is what uh, some of the people say that the, uh, again, we, why was Volusian organized when it was organized? And I introduced you to Professor Stamfer last week. Uh, we don't know exactly why, but life has taught me there can be many different reasons. It becomes a confluence. It, it all comes together. And part of it was Learning went down, Hasidim with the Frumkite, the learning was minimized. Learning, Lishem Yichud, learning Sugyas, more Yerat Shemayim, more Sifre Musa, more Kabbalah, that's not learning. Rav Chaim wanted like the Vilna Gong, Shasim, Paiskim, Al Haseda, and Frumkite is secondary. Learning is lishem 
limit Torah, to be a gadol Torah, to be knowledgeable, etc. Now, where do we see these sources? And that may be the reason that uh, the Lushen was organized. Could be many other reasons, but uh, we'll stick to what the experts say. Now I want to open up the Nefesh Chaim, and I'm quoting from Nefesh Chaim. I, I introduced you last week. The tra- uh, there's an English translation here. I, I don't know if the Nefesh Chaim needs an For me, at my generation, didn't need the English translation. Nefesh Chaim is in simple Hebrew. But it could be today's generation needs, and it's a beautiful English translation with footnotes by Avinoam Frankel. I believe he lives in Beit Shemesh. And I'm quoting from the Nefesh HaChayim, uh, uh, right at the end, Sha'adalid, right at the end of Perik Aleph, in his edition, let me give it to you exactly, it's volume one, page six. 35 and uh, here you see the it's by Sha'a Gimel wait let me give it the Sha'a Dalit the fourth shot this is what he uses Perik per, at the end of Perik Alderson the fourth Shah what, how would you say Shah in English uh, uh, Division. Shar is Baba Metziah, Baba Kama, Baba Batra, so maybe that's why that's why the Nefesh Chaim used it. But here he spells it out. The Gamra Acholayo Temize, Shesofrimbadaitam, She Asik Hatora, below the Vekut, Ain Klum, Ulalo. See, this is, he's portraying the chassidim. I'll put it in simple words. Chassid will meet me this morning. Rakefet, did you go to mikveh this morning? No. When did you start learning? I started learning uh, four minutes after four. I just heard the four o'clock news. And I said, Birchat HaShacha, Birchat HaTorah, not Birchat HaShacha yet. And uh, I started learning. What? You started learning? Did you say L'shem Yichud? Did you say anything? Dveikud? Concentration? No, I started learning. See, it's worlds in conflict. That's not learning. I wake up at 7 o'clock. I go to mikvah. I say, kill him for an hour. I, I say my chachon is for davening. Daven up, how long did it take you to daven this morning? 35 minutes? What? That's davening? Follow me, it's a whole... And, and this is the Nefesh HaChayim here speaking to us. All right? And then in Shadalit Perik Bet, and this is the most famous uh, part, I would say, of the Nefesh HaChayim. Sha'adalit Perikbet, the end, the other, what other calls the end of Perikalif. It's page 635 in the translation. And, and, uh, you see, what, again, he quotes, uh, the Shachatova, the, the Medjashan Tehillim. I quoted Yaakut Shimoni last week, but I heard it a thousand times from the Rub. 
שבי כשתובת המלך עולה ושלם מלפונב יתברך שעוסק בטילים יחשב אצלו יתברך כאילו היה עוסק בנגויים ואוכלות. Why did David HaMelech ask? He wrote the Shalom. I don't know. Maybe some of the people around him uh, said something sarcastic. What's the Shalom? Where does it come to? Nagayim, Aholot, Uktsin. I mean, I, I, I've learned Taharat. I can't say I understand it all. But sometimes we, by the way, Uksin with pictures, you can, you can understand a little better. But I, so, so he wanted saying to Hillim should be equal to Ahalot and Taharot, the most difficult, Nagayim, the most difficult part of Shasa, the Shisha Sidre Mishnah. And, the, and you see the Hasidim take for granted that HaKadosh Baruch Hu granted David's request. And the Nefesh Chaim says, and you have Hasidim, that they claim, what is the Vekut to say to Hillim all day long? It's right here, the Nefesh Chaim. And, and uh, the, the Chaim Volozhin, and Chalila, and that's how I ended off last week's class. So Dovah HaMelech requested it. No, Menachem, did you ever ask your pop dad, I gotta buy this, I gotta buy that, $18,000 spending money. No, you can request it. Doesn't mean your father handed you $18,000, gave my son, to go and enjoy yourself. Yassi, that's Mori Rebbe with, with a little smile on his face and the Nefesh Rechayim, his great-great-grandfather, who says HaKadosh Baruch Hu granted the request. And if this is the case, the Hasidim are wrong. Tilim does not equal learning Shas and Poskim. And in Shah in Shah Dalit Perikimul, the Nefesh Chaim goes on and on that what is learning all about? Learning is knowledge, your mind, understanding. And he quotes Pirkeyava, Kinyanu Pitchainita, Chain Chain. And what that means is the most difficult halacha. How are you going to understand uh, veset? You take the whole problem of kviat vest, a uh, woman, uh, a vest kavua, vest she'ena kavua. When do they have to separate? What are the shimanim? You have to have a very good mind to understand that. You take a ruven. How do you understand the Shutayachit, the Shutarapim, Kamalit, Mokam Haptur? You have to have a very good mind. This is not saying to heal him. Learning, learning has to be the mind, the intellect, 
that's what's learning about. And he quotes the rush, uh, and all the sources, by the way, are here in the footnotes. And he and and, we, we, and the, uh, what the editor did, what Frankel did, he took the Nefesh Rechaim and simply gave you all the sources. You never have to look for a source. Whatever he, whatever the Nefesh Chaim quotes, you have the source in the footnote. But it's a Gemara Nedarim Samach Petra Med Aleph, and what is it talking about? I say the varm l'shein palon, v'dabe becham l'shman, and it, it, what Frumkai is about, and this is the rush. Kigon leida lahavin lachosif lekachu pukil v'lo lekantreir lechiskaot. This again, very, very profound. And in other words, yes. There has to be frumkite in learning, but the frumkite is to learn for the sake of learning, to learn able to understand, to learn to know how to paskin. Yes, there is frumkite, but what is the frumkite? Not learning to be a big shot, not learning to show off. Lo lekantere. This is a, I had a Rebbe, Rebbe Shmuel Lezavolk, he was a Telcha. Oh, I, had, I had wonderful Rebbeim, all different. It's not like why you today, that more or less every, you know, you, I told you when I walked in and closed the door behind me in Amsterdam Avenue, I was back in Lithuania. The whole world, Yehuda Dov would get lost, Yiddish, how would he get around everything you did? It's in your time, was it still all Yiddish? No, ah, Charlie, no wonder. Well, you know, it's a little German and some good English. All right, and the last one. By the way, you know, my neighbors are the Rottenbergs. She's, uh, her father was the Gabai in, in uh, Kilatadat Yeshurin. Chazen, know me, know me. What was the maiden name? Word time, right. Baruch Word time. Her brother was in Bnei Kiva with me. So, uh, all right. But but you see, Reb Shmuel Lezer Volk, he was a Telja. And I don't know how much he was appreciated. At, he, he, he was lost when the why you switched to English, he was lost. But... So one time, one time, I don't know what happened in class, but someone rubbed him the wrong way, and he quoted the Gemara, I think it's in Baba Batra, ah, 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 of, uh, one eighth of an eighth of guys that the Gemara says is mutafata, das is ye So we walked out of class, we were, we were whispering, he got a lot more than one eighth of an eighth. He was, he, he didn't, you didn't cross him too easily, but uh, but you see that this is it's hard to explain it to the masses. But a chassid learns it's frumkat, ashakut, tehillim, l'shem yichud, the halakarashi zakt. A litvak learns no, it's. It's learning Torah, understanding, and what the, what, what the Nefesh Echayim quotes, 
But yes, you have to have your Shemayim. You have to be a decent individual. Lola Kantea, Lola Hitgaard. Fascinating. But you see, the Nevashachayim, instead of putting Haramim on the Hasidim, what the Nefesh HaChaim is doing, he's explaining the Litvisha world and why the Litvisha world is more important and more correct. Here, I'm quoting on page 641. Again, he's on the same topic. And what are we talking about? He says, Bishat Eisek HaTorah B'dinei HaMitzvah that you want to understand l'shem divrei Torah hainu leida lahavin lahosif leket upilpel but it's not rumkite it's learning, it's increasing, it's being machadesh and, I, and you see this also explains the Rav I told you many times the one house where the Rav in New York had let his hair down was a few blocks from where Yossi uh, grew up. The Holzer House. And the Holzer House, they had a garage that they converted to a big, a big living room. They never had a garage. Their car was parked outside. They and in that big living room, they had many a shavabrachat for the Queen's Mafia. The Queen's Mafia, that rabbinate, the Rav felt Fabian Schoenfeld, Yitzhak Sladowski, uh, uh, Beryl Rosenzweig from uh, your area. Uh, the Rav felt very much at home with that crowd. That these were his Talmidim, and these were his Talmidim who thought the way the Rav did. And someone today could never understand why was the Rav so upset. He very upset to swing to the right the black hat, the black clothes, and, and to see, to the Rub's mind, he said, what do we want to show that we all think alike and look alike and act alike? This is not conducive to Kiddush and innovativeness and individuality. See, it's a different world. Kiddush, learning, Rab Chaim. How do you get a Rab Chaim in a Hasidic context? But in the literature world, Rav Chaim came along. He revolutionized thinking, learning, teaching, paskining. It's a different world. And then the Rav was, was part, part of Nefesh Chaim. He was part of his great-great-grandfather's heritage. Now... So you're going to say to, to, to Reb Chaim Volashen, where's the Yerat Shemayim? And he says time and again, quoting Pirkei Avot, quoting Midrashim, that in uh, Ein Yira, Ein Chachma. And quotes the Medrash Rabbah, I'll explain that word, Kefiliot. Torah is bound up with Yerat Shemayim. See, 
this this is why it, it, you had, for instance, in Baltimore, a professor uh, at uh, there was a professor at um, John Hop Johns Hopkins, trying to think of his name, but uh, he was a terrific London in shas. Would you ever go to a non-Jew for a psak? He knew Talmud, he knew Hebrew, he knew Aramaic. You're missing the Eretz Shemayim. You had uh, good Jews who went off the path, they remained big Lamdanim. The minute the Eretz Shemayim is not there, you can't go to them for a psak. You full Albright, Albright, Professor Albright, and they say that the kids from the, from near Israel would go to him occasionally a difficult Gemara, the background of the Gemara, but they never asked him for Psach Halacha. And, and this is what Rav Chaim says. Yes, of course you have to have here at Shemayim. Kifliyot, it's bound, out, bound up with Yerat Shemayim. But... The learning has to be for the sake of learning. When you have learning, then without the Yerat Shemayim, the learning doesn't really succeed. And here, I'll quote what he quotes, uh, now on page 645, uh, and, and uh, I can hear Quote to you the Pasa, quote to you the Gemara. It's a famous quote. It's from Yeshayahu, Perik Lamid Bet, Pasuk Vav. Vahaya emunat itecha, Chosein, Yeshuat, Chachmat, Vedaret, Yerat Adenai, He Oats Rome. What's the English? And he shall, and he shall be the stability of thy times, a store of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. And the Gemara in Shabbat, Lamed Aleph, Lamed Aleph, quotes this pasuk. And on the Pasuk, the Gemara says, Emunah Zesed Israel. First part of Shas. Shisha Sidre Mishnah. Itecha Zesed Moed. Chosen Zesed Noshim. Yeshuot Zesed Nezikim. Chochmat Zesed Kudshim Vedeya Zeseda Taharat. So you see the Gemara, you can look into the Masha, you'll see how all these illusions work out. But in that Pasuk from Yeshayahu, all six Sedre Shas are alluded to. And how does the Pasuk end off? Ba'afilu hachi, the Gemara says, Yirat Hashem ki The fear of God is his storehouse. And I'm quoting from Schattenstein, 
I've now become with that gift I got and, and the uh, dual, wow, alright, the only problem is it has too much, you get lost in it, it, it wow. This signifies that although one might have studied all six orders of Mishnah, still the most important thing in the eyes of the Almighty is whether he has developed in himself a fear of God. And that is exactly what the Nefeshachim is trying to preach, trying to instill, and this is the difference. A chashed mikveh, the hillim, rashi hakodesh, a shakled venelerent, a litvak, learning, kilpul, chiddish, insight, logic, rational, but if you don't achieve your Shemayim, it's all a waste of time. And uh, I remember when I was teaching in the 60s, the young kids just beginning to learn on a high level. And these youngsters, I uh, have a deep relationship until today. I spent all of Sukkot before the nightmare. Every day I was meeting invited to a different uh, we were eating out in Sukkot with students from the 60s including Mark's first cousin is married to a Talmud from the 60s David Gleisha Jill and David Gleisha Mark is married to Esther Gleisha and her first cousin is, is, is I had him as a kid and I named him right away Gleisha General Yashar there was a general in 48, 49 in Sahal. He advertised his name. Every, every politician in general had to advertise his name by order of Ben-Gurion. To forget the goddess. Why do you have a name like Rothkopf? A German name. What are you doing with a name like Rothkopf? You understand, Jesse? You had a, so he became whoever. I don't know what his first name. Maybe it was a Gleisha. General Yasha. So whenever I called on your cousin, General Yasha, read Talsfat. Ah, oh, he's till today when I call him General Yasha, his face lights up. But you see, that Yerat Shemayim has to come from the, I used to say to my students, tell me, you have classes in the afternoon, biology, chemistry, Tell me, did you make a bracha this morning, la soap with the Vrek Torah? So why don't you make, when you go up to the secular classes, Asher Kedeshanu al halimud shel biologia, shel kimia, shel matematica. No, because those subjects, Charlie went to Harvard. Look where the heck Harvard is today, Charlie. And look at your professors. They were geniuses. Biochemistry, chem my granddaughter-in-law in Weizmann today, PhD, Hebrew U. Does that mean that you erase your mind? 
we used to joke around. There was a professor in YU, in uh, professor of philosophy, Littman, and uh, we used to say he could walk out of class and uh, be involved in some scandal. What does the philosophy have to do with Yerat Shemaim and mundane behavior? And the attacker was a scandal, 1961. I remember the years, my first year in the rabbinate, some professor of ethics at Harvard was indicted for illegal financial practices. I think he was found guilty. He may have even gone to jail or fined, whatever. But you see, learning... Harvard? Uh, Harvard, a professor. No year, Shemaim, what, what can <laughs> I tell you? Uh, what can I tell you? Maybe then it was better when Charlie went. I don't know, cast dispersions. But wow, what we have today. And it's not just Harvard. It's Jews themselves. Jews themselves demonstrating a, a, for, in favor of Hamas. The self-hatred. Israel... The New York Times has to hate Israel because we remind them every day they're Jewish. If not for dummies like Rakefet, they could intermarry. They could, like Blinken, like Nides. Their children are Goyim. No one said boo to them. They come to Israel. If I was president of Israel, I would refuse to speak to anyone who's intermarried. I'm sorry. I'm the president. I have to create an image of love for Judaism, Torah, continuity. You married a non-Jewish lady. Your children are not Jewish. I'm sorry. I don't have time for you. Let me go back to my Gemara. Yehuda Dov, you're lucky I'm not president. And the state is lucky I'm not president. Take my word for it. Okay, but that's Reb Chaim. That's what he quotes. That Gemara. Yes, of course you have to have Yerat Shemayim. But the Yerat Shemayim comes from Dvar Hashem Zu Halacha. Ein la Kaddish Baruch Dalar Amot Shel Halacha. The whole Sugyin Brachat. Okay. Then I want to give you another source. I love this source. I, uh, I mentioned it last week, but I want to give it to you inside. This is the source. If you have Rakafadar and Chelek Aleph, I have a piece on Rebchaim Velashen, and I quote this, because this, this captures Rebchaim uh, Velashen. I'm now Shar. Uh, let me let me. See exactly where the quote is. One second. Okay, I'm now. I'm chapter. I'm quoting from chapter eight, and it's page six twenty-four. And uh, all right, I'll read it to you in English. It's the English translation. Let's give Frankel some credit. And he says, "I I have seen." Hasidim, that they are so ignorant as a result of their lifestyle that they think that this is the halacha. With my own eyes, I have seen some people in one place that have become so accustomed to this for a very long time to the extent 
that they have virtually forgotten the defined time that Chazal set for praying Mincha. On the contrary, the practice has become fixed in their hearts like judgment and halacha that the key time for Mincha prayer is after nightfall. And when a person says to his colleagues, quote, let us pray the Mincha prayer, end quote, he receives the answer, let's see if we can already see the stars in the sky. God should forgive them and atone for the unwitting and ignorant. And I don't have to tell you, this is my debate with Rav Heschel Schechter, debated here downstairs in the base medjish, a crowd around us, Rabbi Mordech. We were all here together, they were here, uh, Rav Heschel and Rav, uh, Rav Mordechai Willig at the same time, and uh, there was a lot of anti-Chabad feeling circulating in Reeds, I'll say. I don't know if in all of YU, but in Reeds. And uh, Rav Heschel says to me, they daven shalobisman. And of course, we can't halachically justify it. And on this level, here's the Rapheim of Vilashen. Here's the Vilna Gong. And, and, what he's saying is absolutely correct. It's not just a Davin Shalobisman. It becomes like a shita that the time to Davin Mincha is after Tseis HaKochafen. All right, I can't say Rav Heschel is wrong. He's absolutely right. But my own feeling was that the overall picture, it's time to bridge the gap. Yet, some of the Hasidic sects are Makhpidan's man today. It's not all, but we have to acknowledge this problem abounds. You go to the Kotel, you can go any day you want. You find Marav, people dominating Marav Bizman. I'm not talking after the park, I'm talking Tseisekachavim. And you'll see, Chassidish Minyanim are still saying Kedusha of Mincha. And I told you the story with my grandson. I, I still see him. He's a very able kid. Kid. He's, a, he's middle-aged today, a tank commander, the oldest in his unit. And he's seen a lot of battle in his life. He's right now in battle. And... Uh, comes back, I remember from the Shtiblach, and I'm at his parents' house, not far from where I live. Cholomite Sukkot it had to be, or Cholomite Pesach, but I think it was Sukkot. And I, I say, Yosef, he's a kid of 14, 15. How do you daven so late? And he, with that innocent look on his face, a kid so sincere, he says, Saba, there were so many sitting with long beards and payas and beckishes and stribals davening. I said, well, let me educate you. And I made a deal with him at least, shma, when you wake up, check, self-smine, 
Shema you have to say before this man is over. But uh, this is a real problem, I don't deny it. With Rabbi Willick there was another problem, and that problem has broken out uh, full scale today in uh, 770. It's uh, quite a storm it's created. It's sort of my, my, my family in America tells me it's on every newscast, uh, let alone the newspapers. And because it's, it's not just the tunnel, the schmunnel, suddenly they, they have... 770 is now closed to the public because they, by digging, they weakened the whole structure. It's like here, Yudadov, you don't know, they began three, four years ago digging out the mountain. You know why they couldn't use dynamite? Too many buildings nearby. Had to dig it out scoop of earth by scoop of earth. If you come back in 49 years, you won't recognize the Pony Amago will say, what's Maholechan? You follow? It's going to be built and built and built. But they still haven't finished digging out everything. But they couldn't use dynamite. Those wise guys dug out and uh, they, the whole area now is weakened. So the whole question of messianicism and uh, Rabbi Willie told me every Chabad Hasid is a messy. Either he says it publicly or he keeps it to himself. Well, I don't know. I, uh, I was at the Rebbe's funeral and I know people. I'm, uh, I'm the only one in the state of Israel who saw the Rebbe on his deathbed. Mark, are you aware of that? How did I see the Rebbe on his deathbed? Do you know the story? It's unbelievable. You did though, you have no idea what I've seen in my life, and nothing is made up. Facts, capital F. It's a very simple, Charlie. I was in America. I used to go to America three times a year, you know, with my Russian activities and other things, and had to speak, and people came with me, fundraise, etc. So I'm in America, and um, my dear friend, Dr. Bernard Kabakhan, a world-famous cancer expert, oncologist. So he was the assistant head of Beth Israel Hospital. I think he headed up the oncology department. And uh, I'm at the hospital meeting him. We had to go someplace from there. And he says, Aaron, you want to see the Rebbe? Why not? I knew the Rebbe had the, the final heart attack. And uh, I'm revealing secrets now. We go up to the top floor. Police are there. Totally sealed off. Dr. Kabakow, Dr. Rothkoff, or Rakefet were waved right in. The only other person on the floor was Label Groner, my dear friend, the Rebbe's cousin, right hand. He was sitting on the side. I remember on the table he had food for himself and saying to Hillam, saying to Hillam, uh, what we're learning about. And the Rebbe, we came in there, he, he was clinically dead. But they kept him alive artificially. Ben, do you know why? They were worried that there'd be mass suicides. Very interesting. And they had sessions with all the from psychologists and psychiatrists, including many of my students, Yassi, how to handle it, how to do what will happen. 
finally it reached the point where they decided not to replace the tubes. It was totally hooked up to this, that, the other thing. Total artificial, it wasn't alive basically. What, ama- what was amazing was no one committed suicide. What happened? They became messianists. Remember, they drank l'chaim. The Rebbe died Saturday night. They drank l'chaim. He's in a better world. He's this, that. Psychologically, they had become used to the idea the Rebbe's dying. So instead of the shock coming and committing suicide, no, the Rebbe can't die. He's just gone to a better place where he'll help us more and he'll come back soon. And that's how the Messianicism was born. That's also, was anyone else at the funeral sitting in front of me? If you recall the funeral, Rebbe Soloveitchik, it's the last time I think I saw him face to face. Rebbe Soloveitchik comes, the car drives up, and... Uh, I'm walking the crap, and I say, Rebbe, you, you missed the funeral. They just very quick came out with the hearse and immediately strode to Springfield Avenue to the cemetery to the burial. Why? They didn't want any massive emotion crowd. They were worried might, what might happen. And it was, there was a house, one of the homes that they owned, all the Balabatim who gave the Rebbe a million plus a year were in the house with the Rebbe, body there, the Gabayim, everyone else sang Tehillim. From there, there was a big crowd outside, thousands and thousands, quickly out, and away as quickly as you could imagine. You're, you know what the expression is. You could, you, by the time you said Jackie Robinson, the hearse was gone. And Rabarin came, and I remember he getting out of the car, I remember helping him and telling him they already went on to the burial. And, and uh, with, with it all, my own feeling is, Without Chabad, where would we be today? And let's, there are a few difficulties left. I hope with the passage of time. There are a lot of Chabad that can listen to the Shia. I am fooling myself, but maybe not. Maybe there's a Chabad in Perth, Australia, in honor of Rabbi Rakefit's Shia today. I'm being Makabal to Davin Minchabizman. All right. But there's a lot of good. We have a problem here, there. But a world of good that Chabad, that Hasidus has accomplished. And Reb Chaim Velazhin might have seen this. He already didn't attack, didn't sign Haramim. Intellectually, yes, lo dachi dachechem, the whole concept of learning, it has to be learning not for Krimkeit, learning for Lamdanut. And yes, you must have salt and pepper. It has to have a taste. That's the year at Shemayim. But the basic learning, the butter, the margarine, 
the new inventions, butter and margarine together, which is supposed to be so healthy, it's sold now all over Israel. Yes. But the basic learning, learning. This was the Chaim. I hope my understanding of him is correct, but having heard that Medrash on the Hillam from the Rav so many times, I think I have it. I hope I have it. Halacha Lamaisa, I'd be very happy if one of my grand, I can't say my children anymore, but I used to say, marry whoever you want, Chasid, Litvak, white, black, that nothing matters to me. He should only be a good, pious Jew. And Baruch Hashem and Eretz Yisrael, I remember once walking with my wife up the hill from Machon Lev many years ago. It has to be in the 1990s. And three dark Ethiopians are coming along. My wife instinctively, she's a Bronx girl, Oy, black. I said, honey, this is Israel. Look at the tzitzit. Shaking in the wind. They're better Jews than your husband. And I remember at the Coco. I used to have a minion every Friday night. That's my old age. It's the worst part of old age that I can't get to the Koto anymore. Had my own minion, 46 years. Bobby Ash, the amazing thing is my cousin, Bobby Ash, psychologist, one of the first to come in Aliyah, talking more than 50 years ago. Bobby Ash, Bronx, Savanta, why you know each other? from time immemorial, we both went out the same week. It's unbelievable. Both Bobby and I, meniscus, the same week, can't walk anymore. So I remember once at the Kotel, it was uh, when they were bringing them over from Ethiopia, and I'm sitting next to a Hasidic Jew, and we see these kids, black kids, davening with such kavana, and this Hasidic Jew turns to me and says, We were privileged to see the Messianic time. And I said, Amen, Amen. Wow. Ashrenu Shazachino. Menachem, what I have experienced here, Yosef Mendelovitch came to ask your, your uncle to tell you about what it was like that night from the airport to the Kotel in the middle of the night with Joseph Hatzadik, and your f uncle had the schut to meet Joseph Hatzadik right here on this chair. He put it up on YouTube, you can see it. You don't have that experience, my friend, back in Lakewood. Take my word for it. Let me continue, continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me continue. Now we come back to Professor Stampfer, Shel Stampfer. A kid from Milwaukee, father a conservative rabbi, and what he mastered here in Israel. Unbelievable. Did a beautiful doctorate, as I told you. Now, in his doctorate, which we quoted last week, Yeshiva Halita'it V'hitavata. 
<coughs> Excuse me. The translation, I don't know what they translated in fancy English, because there is an English translation, but um, the development of the Lithuanian yeshiva. And it's academic. This is already on a different level than Rakefit and a Litvishi yeshiva telling stories about Holash. And he has to do his research. And I'm going to quote from him in a, for the rest of the Shia some of the ideas that he develops. So Norm Schles has to ask a simple question. I know about Coca-Cola. I know the ingredients, what goes in, how they do it. I know how to supervise. How does Stampfer know what went on 200 plus years ago? It's a good question. So I, I told you more than once, when I did my research in Rabbi Revel and Rabbi Silva, and somewhat on the rub when I did the monograph biography, I had the advantage of archives. And uh, you have to know how to judge, uh, Max, you have to know how to judge archives, what is accurate, what is not. But generally speaking, what you find in archives, you can put together and develop an honest picture of what was. Remember, underline the word predicting. In scholarship, we are trying to predict the past. We weren't there. We're not entirely. I remember I told Jim Bernard Rebel Gradual had that one professor, Professor Yoshua Finkel, a lovely, oh, what a saintly individual. He's a great expert in Semitics and Tardigum. And uh, I remember Professor Finkel said to us, gentlemen, whenever you're trying to reconstruct history, don't say you're right. Say, I hope my theory is correct. Maybe 70%, 80%. We can never be totally sure. <coughs> Stamfer did not have archives to work with, certainly not from... 1800, 1810, 1820, 1830. Later, there are archives. Uh, I, I told you, he had to do a second edition of his doctorate because when communism fell, they discovered the archives of the secret police, and it was very important. The 1880s, the 1890s, why the legend was closed, what we said an hour ago. But you see, what we start to have with the Volusian graduates is memoir literature. Uh, I plead guilty. My seventh work is, and maybe my most famous, most best work, so many people love it, I don't know. From Washington Avenue to Washington Street. It's a, I call it a scholarly memoir because I've read many memoirs, and generally speaking, people write memoirs, ahin, ahir, Ben, if you don't know Yiddish, you can't think, you can't talk, you can't speak, you can't learn Torah. Without Yiddish, they teach Torah in English today. 
I don't know, my great-grandchildren learn and grandchildren Hebrew, they can learn Shash, they make Siyumim and hear everything in Hebrew. Wow. Uh, Menachem, you know that when I learned in Lakewood, your grandfather will tell you, Freddie Zucker of Baltimore Zuckerberg convinced me that Rebunish, the Rebunish learned not get it Yiddish with Meshav Rabbeinu, Nishtagoyish English. And uh, you see, in memoir literature, people write, I was very careful. Any historic fact, I didn't depend on memory. I checked out to the end. And no one has found, I have over 500 pages, no one has found a historic mistake. But memoir literature is also important because it's never wrong. In other words, you can say, well, I don't agree with what Dr. Kepfert thought. Yeah, but that's what he thought. You follow me? That's what one person thought. It's, it's very important. Many of the graduates of the Russian left memoir literature. And Sh Professor Stamfer put it all together. Kenny, you're going to ask, why? Mapitom, they started to write memoir literature. Good question. Imagine how lucky and fortunate we would be, Jesse, if the Rambam wrote a memoir, if Rashi left the memoir. So I'll tell you. There are two factors involved. One factor we're going to deal with in great depth in the coming months. My dear students, Volusian had plenty of students who went on to graduate, who lower lane who got caught up in the isms of the time. Those that became good Zionists, many of them wrote memoirs. Memoir literature becomes popular when the Haskalah comes into Eastern Europe. So that's one part of it. You have actual, full autobiographies where they express their opinions. But there's another factor. One aspect in life has become unbelievably cheaper over the centuries. Not clothing, not food, not housing. We pay more today. Printing. At one time, all the svarim were written by hand. This is a tremendous problem with the, begins with the Vilna Gaon and carries over, go back before the Gaon, the Bach, the Gaon, Hagaot, the proper text. When you copy by hand, Max Roberts, MR, can be the biggest genius in the world. But when you copy by hand, inevitably you're going to make mistakes. Cost a fortune. Norm Schloss just celebrated 50 years as a mashkiach for the OU. So he hired a 
he dictated to a friend and they write his life story on parchment with ink, cost a fortune. Today, printing? Unbelievable. It got much cheaper. Once it got much cheaper, you can write much more. Ben, what am I driving at? A lot of the graduates of Spolashin wrote Sifrei Kodesh, Chidushrei Torah, Sheilut But in their introductions, they wrote memoirs, how they grew up, how they had great rebellion, who the great rebellion were, what they experienced in yeshiva. You follow me, Ben? And print is cheaper. You can afford to print, write a lot more. And once you're able to do that, well, go through the introductions. Go through the reminiscences. And wow, you have fabulous material. And this was Stampfer's beautiful doctorate. He took this memoir material, like I took archival material, and put it together. So I'm going to quote Stampfer, but everything I'm quoting, look at his footnotes, and you'll get the source where he got it from. Now, then you have to put it together. Kenny, is he totally right? No. People have a prejudice. People see, I describe the rub my way. You'll hear other people describe the rub very differently. We'll both swear we're correct. But 80, 90 percent, he hit the nail on the head. Okay? Now, I'm quoting from his, doc, from his published work, the second edition, beginning on page 43. Why did he choose Volusian? And uh, right away people will say, why did the Baron Cutler choose Lakewood? So a wise guy will pop up and say, well, I heard Rakefit's lectures in Grush, and he explained that Rabban wanted to get away from the big city and the degenerate influences in the big city. Makes sense? Chose Lakewood. Yeah, but when Rabban Velashin lived, the Haskalah had not yet reached Eastern Europe. What's wrong with a big city? Vilna, Minsk. Why Volusian? Volusian was barely a dot on the map. Given a shtetl. It wasn't a city. It was a shtetl. All right. The bigger question, why was Rab Chaim Rav in Volashen? He was a gone idea. Kalmit Mufak of the Vilna Gong. 
Kishere ben in a bigger city. And Vilkomer, which is a much bigger city, they offered him the rabbinate. And yet, yet, he remained in Volusion. And we'll never know for sure what the answer is, but Stamford reaches the following conclusion. Reb Chaim had his first rabbinate. He was in a small city. Couldn't handle it. Time was not his own. He was always being disturbed. So he was very happy to remain in a small city like Belajan. There were less disturbances. It's a smaller kehila. They didn't drive the rabbi crazy. They wouldn't have this balabatim. And Rav Chaim was in business. His wife ran the business. He himself was in business. He wasn't a poor man. And uh, he was very happy to remain in the Russian. And because that was the city he was Ravan, so naturally that's where he began his yeshiva. Now, when you look back historically how yeshiva ran, each one was a function of the community. The bigger the community, if the rabbi wanted to teach, if the rab, the shtat rab, he was a good teacher, he attracted students, and the community supported them. They arranged, fine, 20 students, 30 students, they learned in the local Beit Medrash. There was one Rav. It was a small budget, and the community supported them. Rav Chaim's vision, as we said two weeks ago, went way beyond the local community. We need a yeshiva with good teachers, not just because you're a rabbi in Maplewood, New Jersey, does that make you a good teacher? You gotta be a good teacher. And and if you're a good teacher, we don't want to limit you to the students just in Maplewood and South Orange. That was Mikey Hiller, Maplewood, South Orange. And we're gonna have students from all over. Well, this creates a new reality. No little community is going to be able to support a small a yeshiva, particularly a yeshiva that aims to attract students from all over Eastern Europe and ultimately even from Western Europe as well. Yitzchak Halevi, the Dorot HaRishonim, studied in Belashim from Germany. So, see, Reb Chaim introduces that concept when it's not, when, when not just 
supported by Volusion. We're supported by all Jews who care about Torah. We are a national yeshiva, call it an international yeshiva, and support has to come from all over. So that too will explain why he didn't mind staying in a small shtetl. It's not like having a yeshiva in Vilna where you have tremendous support from Vilna, but no one beyond Vilna. No, this is going to be an international yeshiva, and we can be in Velazhin, but support will come from all over the Torah world. Now, what added to Velazhin's prestige, Rebchaim's prestige, during the Napoleonic Wars, the Tsarist government honored Reb Chaim, his last name that we have on the document is Itzkowitz. And last week there was a Talmud sitting here, a Talmud of mine for many years, Zev Itzkowitz. Zev, if you, I know you'll be listening. Are you related to Reb Chaim Velashin? Itzkowitz was definitely the family name. And this document made Reb Chaim like a baron, like he's under the special guidance and protection of the emperor. Why, did it, why, why was this done during the Napoleonic Wars? Because they wanted loyalty from the Jews. And here you honor Abhayan Velazhin, give him a title, give him a document, and he's, he's under special protection. This makes fundraising easier. It's not just Nachashnara, Nacha Jew, Nacharashiva, Nacharav, Nacharebba, but it's an individual who the Tsar himself, the Russian government, recognizes his greatness. Behind did more. And see this, uh, you don't even realize this, Yeshiva University. Uh, until the 1950s benefited from Rab Chaim. We had Mishulachim, but let, let me begin at the beginning. First of all, in all the prominent cities in Eastern Europe, everyone knew about the Russians. Students were coming from all over. In every city, they would take an important Jew who had connections and money, and he would be called the Gabai of Yeshiva Velazhin. Uh, today, it's the Board of Trustees, Board of Governors. So already in every city, Minsk and Slutsk and Vilna and elsewhere, you had a Gabai who was responsible for seeing that there was support for the Yeshiva. But Rav Chaim was even smarter than that. He was a businessman. A Gabai is busy. He's in his own community. He's got his own responsibilities. The concept developed of Mishulachim. This is a concept that goes on into today. 
What do we mean by Mishulachim? There's a formal rabbinic term for that, for it. Shada. Shliach durabanan. And what does that mean in Shada? And this is a whole profession. Shlichim go out all over to raise funds. Part of the money, the Mishulach keeps. How much is he entitled to keep? Well, this is a very delicate area. Rev. Eliashev Paskin knew, anyone know his psak, up to 49%. I'm not happy with that psak, but he said, look, if the shliach doesn't go out to raise the funds, the yeshiva will have nothing. So if he says he's raising funds, if the rove goes to Velazhin, he can keep Rabbi Yashiv, if the rove goes to Hebron, Shlabatka, Mir, he can keep 49%. I'm not, I'm not happy with that. And uh, I would much rather see a Meshulach getting a regular salary. And, however, Rakevit's idea is not that good. You know why, Menachem? Because if he can keep 49%, He'll try to raise more and more and more. You follow? And if he gets around, yeah, it's, it's a difficult. Well, I'll tell you. Be the other, I would say 20% if someone asked me. I'm proud to tell you that a guy named Aaron Rekhefet never kept a penny of all the millions of dollars he raised for Torah. Never kept one penny. And uh, it's, it's, I'm not happy with this. On the other hand, we have to be honest, without the Meshulachim, you wouldn't have money. Rabbi Yashiv is right. And, and this became a Shada. It's, he didn't invent it, Rabbi Chaim. Yehuda Dov, you already had Shadarim from Eretz Yisrael. Are you aware of that? Who is the most famous Shadar? No, what did they teach you and why you? Let me see if they give you any knowledge on Amsterdam Avenue. The Chida. The Chida of Chaim Yisrael Azulai. He was a Shadar. How did he wind up in Italy? And another place, Eastern Europe. Shadar. So, we have two volumes, classic volumes by Abraham Ya'ari, published by, by, by Mossad Rav Kook time and again, many on Shadarim, on Mamish. I remember when I was in graduate school, the professors already referred to these volumes on Shuluchim the Rabbanon, it's like a holy profession, like a mohel, a shoiche, a shada, and this is the way Rav Chaim Volazhin functioned. Now, this concept of shadarim and Rav Chaim revolutionizes the whole relationship between the yeshiva and the town. And let me explain myself. And this is a very, very important 
when you speak about Yeshiva Chachmei Lublin and other Eastern European Yeshivat, and uh, certainly in the United States, what am I referring to? In Turapheim Voloshin, the any yeshiva, any place where students learn Torah around the Rav Rebbe, they were dependent upon the good will of the town. Town supported them. First of all, they gave you the Beit Medrash. No, they gave you the Beit Medrash. Heat during the winter, all day. Town had a pay. Kerosene lamps. You don't realize how fortunate we are today. Look, look at all the beautiful lights we have. It's bamish, broad daylight here in the classroom. We take it for granted. Two hundred years ago, the town had to provide that. More than that, students wound up sleeping on benches in the Beit Medrash. Food, they had the schnur. No, you all know the expression, midaf essen teg. Teg, what does teg mean in Yiddish, Mark? Uh, teg, days, every day. You, you did charity. Monday, two yeshiva boys came and ate in your house. You gave them some bread and herring, who knows what. People, you read the memoir literature, degradation. Baking. Sometimes she came to a wealthy house, you had a good piece of fish, and sometimes you had next to nothing. Essentech comes up in memoir literature time and again with hatred and enmity when they look back on that part of the experience of the yeshiva. Now it turns around totally. The town was dependent upon the yeshiva. Money was raised, the gabayim, the shadarim, Rosh Yeshiva, every kid got money. The brighter kids got more. The Elohim got more. But everyone got money. You chose the home you bought it in. That meant that they made money off the yeshiva. David, you paid for your meals. You were the boss. It's like you go into the supermarket today. You have five different brands of cookies, cake, you choose what you like. You choose where you get the best deal. The students with the balabatim. You follow me, Ben? It's a total change in relationship. Independence. No one looked back on Leiden. I have to suffer because I have to be a beggar. This was Reb Chaim. Now you can understand Yeshiva Chachmei Lublin a lot better.
Now you can understand America. Shiva Shibskalchanan. Rabbi Yaakov Yosef School, RJJ, I'm going in order when they were established. Chaim Berlin, Teira Vadas. There's no concept of eating Essentech. Shiva, dining room, food. It's a gradual development. From Belarusian and renting rooms, me too. I remember the people vied for my, this is what my Rabbeim told me, that they vied for the yeshiva boys, was added income, and these were good tenants. They didn't rob, they didn't steal, they didn't make noise, they didn't fight. These were good tenants. You follow? And this was Reb Chaim Belarusian. Why you, when they built the new building, it was epic making the 1900 years ago of building dormitories, dining halls, it was epic making. That's why Rav Meir Shapiro came to see Yeshiva What are they doing? And he emulated them and even more in Lublin. Remember? A bakery in the yeshiva. Who heard of such a thing? Fresh bread every day. And, and, but it all began with Velashim. More than that. Until now you speak about a rough teaching in a community. How many students gathered around him? 10, 15? Not more. You had to have parents who could afford to let you learn, not go to work. Kids went to work at 14, 15. <laughs> Today, kids go to work, 35. We're older. All right, not in Israel. Israel never, the kids go into the army at 18. They're already big kids, big kids at 18. I mean, I, I hear the stories of my grandchildren and artillery and tanks and all the different guns and, oh, wow. They're, they're, they're kids. They're, they're, they have no time to be kids. I, my grandchildren uh, grew up before my eyes. They were total adults already. You could talk politics with them. They were way beyond you. But that's Israel. See, Rabbi Velushin's idea, for the first time, you need a separate yeshiva building. Ten, fifteen kids, no, the shul is empty all day. The bank is empty all day. No problem. You have where to learn. All right, the community will have to spend a little bit more on heating on kerosene lamps at night. But you have where to go. Rav Chaim began, we don't know for sure, it's estimated, 15 students. Within a few years it had 100 students. By the 1880s, Bialik's time in the yeshiva, there were more than 300 
hundred students. She must build a separate building. No shul can handle so many students. And this is what we spoke about, that Rav Chaim dreamt building that separate building and within a few years it became absolutely necessary. And that Volusian building is standing until today. As I told you when we started, uh, it was returned to the Jewish community by the communists. Communism fell. About 20 years ago, the building was still in a terrible derelictic shape. And uh, the government told the community, do we knock it down or refurbish it? And a good Israel of America raised the funds, the building's refurbished, and they're trying to turn it into a tourist attraction today. And have you been there? So, when, how long ago were you there? That ten years ago. Oh, and it was already ready then something to yeah. see. Of course, now they're getting serious about it that they want to put it on the map. And uh, it, 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 we, you could go in there and say people give a sheer there. There wasn't anything ongoing, but it was very, very inspirational. To, to right, and you can say, "I learned in Volusian." You heard his sheer Volusian, so you come back and you say. I learned in the Russian. Uh, I, I tell you, you've you got to appreciate who Rab Chaim was. Now, it's more than that. See, and here he has all the sources from the memoir literature. In order to let the community know who is the boss, so you see in every other instance before this, the yeshiva was part of the community. Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Balabakim came to Dutton with the yeshiva. Simchat's Torah. Purim, the Purim Sutta. Reb Chaim, Simchat's Torah and Purim. The yeshiva was close to the community. It's only from within. And on one hand, it gave a message to the community, we are the boss of our own institution. You can't influence us. On the other hand, it forced the yeshiva community camaraderie, friendship, integration. Then what we were talking about before, Israel. So many different cultures here. Come into the army, become one. Esprit de corps. It's, it's, it's amazing. Esprit de corps, you can call it. I'm Yisrael. I remember I had the schutter. I'm telling you stories. I'm ashamed. I shouldn't tell you this. I'll tell you a true story. I'm in Machna Yehuda right after I did basic training. Buying, I can still remember, red peppers. 
and uh, clean shaven. When I did basic, you saw the picture in Washington. I, everyone grows a beard. Why do I want to shave out in uh, a Jordanian uh, camp? Basis hadracha arba. God have mercy. What the conditions were. But all right, that's what we did. Basic training. It doesn't exist today, Menachem. It's Bethel. It's part of Bethel. So uh, I had a beard. So the guy selling the peppers says to this other guy, recognized me, he didn't recognize me. And um, he says, No, I say, yeah, It's a rabbi, a Georgian rabbi from Ramat. And he says, Honey, I get like I eat your sets of Pamshnia, Rakhlish, Moa, Divre, Torah, Yasha, Mesa, Bachome, America. And I slunk away, he shouldn't wreck. But I'll tell you what he's talking about. And that's what exactly what we're talking about now. Remember this? I write it up and it's like a movie, but it's all written up in Washington. It was, every, once a week we had a lecture. Any, anyone else here who did basic training? Kenny, you ever? No? Came too late? Haga, you and Haga. Okay. Charlie, Haga. Oh, you and Baraba. Oh, so great. Oh, now you can under, now we understand each other. Charlie, once a week we had a lecture from the Katsin Chinuch. So we hear the lecture in Beirut with Havdallah and the yellow. Beautiful. Okay, good. The next week, 200 Tiranim are assembled for the lecture. The Shmendrek gets up and he starts the same lecture. So I figured, all right, I'll, I'll sleep with my eyes open. Because if you close your eyes, they're walking up and down and wake you up. So the Russians, I didn't know Russian mentality yet, they yell out, Shamanu, Shamanu. He gets off. He had no other lecture. One lecture. So until then, I was Chayal Ploni. The Mafake, the Master Sergeant, comes over to me. Kvod Harav. Anach Niodim Shayatra Yodea. Eichla Hatzot. Kvod Harav. I found that lady. I had a girlfriend from Michlala who is my student in class, you follow? But no, it's a yes to break. And he took a course. They couldn't command us to have a course how to deal with older people. The army, very well organized. So what could I do? I got up, it changed my life. You don't know what this lecture did. So I spoke to them. What is Pesach about? Why the cotton Pesach? Pesach Mitzrayim and all that went into it, separating, taking days earlier. And I said, there's a big difference between a Jew before you see it Mitzrayim to after you see it Mitzrayim. Before you see it Mitzrayim, I was quoting the, uh, the Pasha Turachim of the Mishnah Lamelech. Before you see it, Mitzrayim were individual Jews. Avram Yitzchak Yaakov. 
with Yitzit Mitzrayim and the Kenisal Eretz Yisrael, we become Am Yisrael. And individual Jews were not any different than Protestants, Christians. Religion is individualistic. You have choice. With Kenisa Eretz Yisrael, we become total Jews. Individual and um, there's two types of Kedusha within us. Where the individual Kedusha, we create. Am Yisrael, we inherit. And I went on and I said, until now, I was an American. You were French. You were Russian. You were Moroccan. You were from Jerba. You were from Turkey. But this Pesach that's coming, we're going to be Am Yisrael. It's a different Pesach, a different cotton Pesach that we all have to share. Hundreds shared one cotton Pesach, quoted from Yosefus, the Mishnah Pesachim. I said, it's a new experience. Ashrenu shezachinu, ashrenu shebachanu, ashrenu shanachnu kan. You don't know what that taught that. All right, he was inspired. I thank that rabbi from Gruzinia. Nice words that he said. Do you know that the Mufakate of the Basis, Eskanalev, sends for me the next day? He gets a report on everything that goes on. He didn't know what to do for me. And he said to me, I, he wasn't with the kippah, but you know, he came from Romania, probably Vishnu Sechosit, Bamakar. I'm speaking Hebrew, but you pick it up. Bamakar. You follow me? Ben, help him later. The, the, it, this went off the picture. They can still hear me? My God. Connecting. I, I'll be happy when we have a better system. I don't know what that means. Uh, let's hope. Let's hope they can hear me. If not, it's being recorded. So he says, "Anitzulzati laharav harashi lagitlo miata." The next day, I get a hasmana. General Navon wants to see me. And you want to know what sheer power is, Charlie? He has a paper in front of him. On that paper, it's assigning me what I will do in the army after Tiranut. He signs it and says, tell me where you want to go. Follow? And I had spoken with Yukul Kuperman, the Rabbi Kuperman, he told me, Havaidat. I don't know if it exists today, but that's the best, because they request you as a speaker. And uh, I told them, Havaidat, for the next 15 years, I was in Havaidat of Harabanut Hatzfa'it. It was quite an experience. Yehuda, I'll tell you one more story. Rav Gat Navon started to speak with me in learning. 
This was just after, he was Bakin Shas, had a photographic memory. This was just after they were mate all the Agunat of the Yom Kippur War. He was on the baiting with Rav Ovadio and Rav Piro. Got it? So he starts to speak with me on Agunat. No, how many of you, why you graduates, do you think can talk Simon Yud Zayin, Evan Ezra, the most difficult and longest Simon in all of Dalit Chalkei Shulchan Arach. But I was attracted and I prepared a course that I first gave at Michala later in the Sunday class in the Kolel. That would come later, after this, but I'd already given it in Michala. Started talking with me and Agunat. I'm not going to finish the sentence. There were two people talking, one knew more than the other. Ben, I'll let you fill it in. He was blown away. Behind my back, he told people, Wow, Eiza, Rav, Hu, Harav, Salavechik, Hatamidim, Shalogidola, Yisrael. Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, Rav Aaron Rakefet. I told my Talmidim, I'm lucky he didn't start up with me in Nashim Vinazikim. I wouldn't have turned out as good as I did in Hilchat My dear students, let us reiterate, uh, the, the Zoom has played a bad trick on us. Mark, can you, Yossi, do you know what's going on? Can you get back to Zoom? Can you get back? I can't be reached. Oh my gosh. All right. Uh, I apologize to all those on Zoom, but if you'll go to YU Torah, you can pick up the shear. It's being recorded, so at least it will be there for posterity. Uh, to my students sitting in front of me, first of all, I want to thank everyone for honoring me with their presence. As I've told you more than once, uh, I've gotten, I, again, let me, let me joke around with you. Uh, I've gotten so many compliments from people who have been my sh students f for 45 years already, since 78. And they say, Rebbe, you're sure are better than ever. I'm hearing it from Israel, hearing it from America. So I reached the conclusion, not that my sure are better than ever, but I'm dealing with material that nobody knows. I'm teaching myself. How many people gave a lecture on Reb Menashe Klein and Mesira and all that we have been speaking about these last weeks? I don't know of anyone else except one dummy in Yerushalayim named Rakefet. We're dealing with Velazhin, Nefesh Achayim. How many people have even studied Nefesh Achayim today? So, I'm dealing with material nobody knows. Nobody knows. The Shirma are better than ever. Wow, what I'm learning. I never heard this before. So that's my answer to the wonderful people, to Rabbi Younger and Steve Gross and others who have complimented the Rebbe. All right. I take the compliment with a grain of salt. It's material that they're not teaching, not in Washington Heights and not in Lakewood and not in Lubavitch. So Baruch Hashem, Mokum Kitnikulavatov Lehit Gadebo. Can he recognize the Gemara at the start of Khulin? So what did we do today? Well we've continued with Rabhaim Vulajan, we've continued with Nefesh uh, Nefeshachayim. We can understand where he differs, 
with Hasidus, and yet it was on a different level than the Vilna Gaon's opposition. Uh, how did Voloshin begin? What was unique about Voloshin? I think Professor Stumpfer's doctorate is excellent. And you got a good feel of the early years. We're not finished yet. We have to deal with one more aspect. Who gives the shirm, etc. What are the shirm about? But Rav Chaim Voloshin or Rav Chaim Itzkovitz, whatever name you know him by, he was revolutionary. And 200 years, 220 years later, we all benefit from what began in white Russia in a little shtetl named Voloshin. Are there any questions? Yes, Yassi. Do you have any, um, any record of how far, how far Talmudin came or from how... Uh, oh, yeah, well, yeah, yes, no, no. So from the, from the, uh, you'll see, we're going to get to it. But from the literature, the memoir literature, we absolutely do. Talmudin came all over Lithuania, all over White Russia. Talmudin came later Ukraine, Poland, even Hasidic circles, you occasionally had a Talmud. And what I interacted with Charlie, Talmudim even came from Germany by the 1870s. Follow? Now, there may have been, I, I, I have it in my notes, I'll get to it later, there may have been an American one or two already in Voloshin. By the 1870s, after the Civil War, it was very well known. In other words, even in America, they knew about Voloshin. And it, it really was a credit, but there were difficulties. Uh, and ultimately, we'll come to it, all this, there was bitter battles in Voloshin that ultimately led to its being shut down. Part of it was over who should be the Rosh Yeshiva, Others, there were isms there, there was outside influence. It, it was not simple. Uh, you'll even read today that, so, that a student killed another student with a gun. Uh, that's not true. What happened was that there was a bit of fight, and one of the students later died young. So they juxtapositioned it that he was shot with the... But there was a bit of fight, the, the, and ultimately that's why the Tsar stepped in and said, close this institution down, it's dangerous. Then the Russian reopened three years later, 1895. Rev. Rafal Shapiro's family reopened it, functioned until close to World War II, but, uh, or I should say, no, it, it functioned until World War I, if my memory is correct. I have it all in my notes. But it never was the same. It, by the time the Russian reopened, you had Mir, you had Slabotka, you had Tells. It never was the same. My grandfather learned in the Russian. But I'm sure it was the Russian that reopened in 1895. That was right the five years before he came to America. 
Yeah, yeah. If we open the same building, you'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to all this. But uh, my great uncle, my uncle who I spoke about in Taunton, Massachusetts, he may have learned in the original Belushi. Unfortunately, I, when I was a kid, I knew him. I loved him. But I didn't know how to ask these questions yet. And uh, I write about him in Washington, but I, I have a feeling he may have learned yet in the real Belushi, but it could be also, he came to America around 1900, 1899, it could be also the reopened Belushi. Now, who else had a question? I saw a hand up. Yes. Uh, was there any reason why he never like made a dining room, made a dorm, so they wouldn't need to pay? Uh, look. You're committing an anachronism. You're thinking in terms of 2025. Today we have this, we have that. You don't understand. The fact that he built a building was revolutionary. So one step. It's like you moved out of Meir Sharim into a more modern neighborhood. Oh my gosh, I have an indoor bathroom. You follow me? Then you go a step further. Whoever heard of two bathrooms in an apartment? I grew up one bathroom. My first apartment, one bathroom. Second apartment, I believe, one bath. There's my wife, uh, Mount Vernon Avenue, Valley, uh, uh, Lower Marion. We moved to our own house. That's three bathrooms, Maplewood. Cayman Aliyah, new apartment just built, two bathrooms. Who could live without two bathrooms? Today we were in a, uh, my wife, we saw homes in America, his bathroom, a hub bathroom, a bathroom big enough to be a whole living room here. But again, you follow me? You always, you, you always have to handle these questions within a time context. And uh, that's the answer. It's a good question, but that's the answer. But Mayor Shapiro was more revolutionary even than Rabbi Revel. Could you imagine a bakery with fresh bread and why you? Unheard of? Unheard of. But, uh, what, what did you discover? There's no internet here? There's no internet. Rahmanis, if anyone calls you and asks what happened, explain to them and tell them to go to YU Torah. Mark, you got to get it up on YU Torah as soon as possible. Gentlemen, I thank you from the bottom of my heart, honoring me with your presence. Next Sunday, we pick up just where we left off, and I'll show you the letter from RCA to me, sort of criticizing me for turning Rabbi Menashe Klein into a public post and a public hero. But I... We're back. Now we're back. Uh, 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 recording in progress. Recording in I just want to tell everyone listening that um, we had a problem here with the internet, we believe. And if you didn't hear the end, the last 15 minutes of the year, you can pick it up on Why You Torah. 
Are there any questions from around the world? Let's work quickly. Rabbi Bednash has to come in. Uh, are they unmuted, Mark? Yeah, they can unmute themselves. Unmute yourself. Are there any questions? Okay. Until we meet again in health and happiness, that's for done. Yeah. How is Yomo? If we could tell you how Yomo is, he wouldn't be Yomo. But uh, from what we gather, the operation was successful, and he should be out today or tomorrow. But I'm only guessing. I just sent him another email, and I'll check now whether I got an answer.